Chapter 3 Elric stood unspeaking in the prow of Count Schmulgen's flagship. Since his return to the fjord and the fleet's subsequent sailing for open sea, he had spoken only orders and those in the tersest of terms. The sea lords muttered that a great hate lay in him, that it festered his soul and made him a dangerous man to have as comrade or enemy, and even Count Schmjorgen avoided the moody albino. The reaver prow struck eastward and the sea was black with light ships, dancing on the bright water in all directions. They looked like the shadow of some enormous seabird flung out on the water. Nearly half a thousand fighting ships stained the ocean, all of them in similar form, long and slim and built for speed rather than battle since they were for coast raiding and trading. Sails were caught by the pale sun, bright colours of fresh canvas, orange, blue, black, purple, red, yellow, light green or white, and every man had sixteen or more rowers, each rower a fighting man. The crews of the ships were also the warriors who would attack Imrir, since there was no wastage of good manpower. The sea nations were underpopulated, losing hundreds of men each year in the irregular raids. In the centre of the great fleet, certain larger vessels sailed. These carried great catapults on their decks and were to be used for storming the seawall of Imrir. Count Schmjorgen and the other lords looked at their ships with pride, but Elric only stared ahead of him, never sleeping, rarely moving, his white face lashed by salt spray and wind, his white hand tied upon his sword hilt. The reaver ships ploughed steadily eastwards, forging towards the Dragon Isle and fantastic wealth, or hellish horror. Relentlessly, doom-driven, they beat onwards, their oars splashing in unison, their sails bellying taut with a good wind. Onwards they sailed towards Umria the Beautiful, to rape and plunder the world's oldest city. Two days after the fleet had set sail, the coastline of the Dragon Isle was sighted, and the rattle of arms replaced the sound of oars as the mighty fleet hove to and prepared to accomplish what sane men thought impossible. Orders were bellowed from ship to ship, and the fleet began to mass into battle formation. Then the oars creaked in their grooves, and ponderously, with sails now furled, the fleet moved forward again. It was a clear day, cold and fresh, and there was a tense excitement about all the men, from sea lord to galley hand, as they considered the immediate future and what it might bring. Serpent prows bent towards the great stone wall which blocked off the first entrance to the harbour. It was nearly a hundred feet high, and towers were built upon it, more functional than the lace-like spires of the city which shimmered in the distance behind them. The ships of Inrio are the only vessels allowed to pass through the great gate in the centre of the wall, and the route through the maze, the exact entrance even, was a well-kept secret from outsiders. On the sea wall, which now loomed tall above the fleet, amazed guards scrambled frantically to their posts. To them, threat of attack was well-nigh unthinkable. Yet here it was. A great fleet the greatest they had ever seen, come against Imrir the Beautiful, 
They took to their posts, their yellow cloaks and kilts rustling, their bronze armour rattling, but they moved with bewildered reluctance as if refusing to accept what they saw. And they went to their posts with desperate fatalism, knowing that even if the ships never entered the maze itself, they would not be alive to witness the Reaver's failure. Divim Tarkan, commander of the Wall, was a sensitive man who loved life and its pleasures. He was high-browed and handsome, with a thin wisp of beard and a tiny moustache. He looked well in the bronze armour and high-plumed helmet. He did not want to die. He issued terse orders to his men, and with well-ordered precision they obeyed him. He listened with concern to the distant shouts from the ships, and he wondered what the first move of the Reavers would be. He did not wait long for his answer. A catapult in one of the leading vessels twanged throatily, and its throwing arm rushed up, releasing a great rock which sailed, with every appearance of leisurely grace, towards the wall. It fell short and splashed into the sea which frothed against the stones of the wall. Swallowing hard and trying to control the shake in his voice, Divim Tarkan ordered his own catapult to discharge. With a thudding crash, the release rope was cut, and a retaliatory iron ball went hurtling towards the enemy fleet. So tight packed were the ships that the ball could not miss. It struck full on the deck of the flagship of Darmit of Jakor and crushed the timbers in. Within seconds, accompanied by the cries of maimed and drowning men, the ship had sunk and Darmit with it. Some of the crew were taken aboard other vessels, but the wounded were left to drown. Another catapult sounded, and this time a tower full of archers was squarely hit. Masonry erupted outwards, and those who still lived fell sickeningly to die in the foam-tipped sea lashing the wall. This time, angered by the deaths of their comrades, Amreri and archers sent back a stream of slim arrows in the enemy's midst. Reavers howled as red-fletched shafts buried themselves thirstily in flesh. But Reavers returned the arrows liberally, and soon only a handful of men were left on the wall as further catapult rocks smashed into towers and men, destroying their only war machine and part of the wall besides. Divim Tarkan still lived, though red blood stained his yellow tunic, and an arrow shaft protruded from his left shoulder. He still lived when the first ramship moved intractably towards the great wooden gate and smashed against it, weakening it. A second ship sailed in beside it, and between them they stove in the gate and glided through the entrance. The first non-Imrerian ships ever to do such a thing. Perhaps it was outraged horror that the tradition had been broken, which caused poor Divim Tarkan to lose his footing at the edge of the wall and fall screaming down to break his neck on the deck of Count Schmjorgen's flagship as it sailed triumphantly through the gate. Now the ramships made their way for Count Schmjorgen's craft, for Elric had to lead the way through the maze. Ahead of them loomed five tall entrances, black gaping moors all alike in shape and size. Elric pointed to the third from the left, and with short strokes the oarmen began to paddle the ship into the dark mouth of the entrance. For some minutes they sailed in darkness. Flares! shouted Elric. Light the flares! Torches had already been prepared, and these were now lighted. 
The men saw that they were in a vast tunnel hewn out of natural rock, which twisted tortuously in all directions. Keep close, Elric ordered, and his voice was magnified a score of times in the echoing cavern. Torchlight blazed, and Elric's face was a mask of shadows and frisking light as the torches threw up long tongues of flame to the bleak roof. Behind him, men could be heard muttering in awe, and as more craft entered the maze and lit their own torches, Elric could see some torches waver as their bearers trembled in superstitious fear. Elric felt some discomfort as he glanced through the flickering shadows, and his eyes, caught by torch flare, gleamed very fever bright. With dreadful monotony, the oar splashed onwards as the tunnel widened, and several more cave mouths came into sight. The middle entrance, Elric ordered. The steersman in the stern nodded and guided the ship towards the entrance Elric had indicated. Apart from the muted murmur of some men and the splash of oars, there was a grim and ominous silence in the towering cavern. Elric stared down at the cold, dark water and shuddered. Eventually they moved once again into bright sunlight, and the men looked upwards, marvelling at the height of those great walls above them. Upon those walls scattered more yellow-clad, bronze-armoured archers, and as Count Schmjorgen's vessel led the way out of the black caverns, the torches still burning in the cool winter air, arrows began to hurtle down into the narrow canyon, biting into throats and limbs. Faster, howled Elric. Row faster. Speed is our only weapon now. With frantic energy, the oarsmen bent to their sweeps, and the ships began to pick up speed, even though Imrudian arrows took heavy toll of the reaver crewmen. Now the high-walled channel ran straight, and Elric saw the keys of Imrera ahead of him. Faster. Faster, our prize is in sight. Then suddenly, the ship broke past the walls and was in the calm waters of the harbour, facing the warriors drawn up on the quay. The ship halted, waiting for reinforcements to plunge out of the channel and join them. When twenty ships were through, Elric gave the command to attack the quay, and now Stormbringer howled from its scabbard. The flagship's port side thudded against the quay as arrows rained down upon it. Shafts whistled all around Elric, but miraculously he was unscathed as he led a bunch of yelling reavers onto the land. Imrerian axemen bunched forward and confronted the reavers, but it was plain that they had little spirit for the fight. They were too disconcerted by the course which events had taken. Elric's black blade struck with frenzied force at the throat of the leading axeman and sheared off his head. Howling demonically, now that he had tasted blood, the sword began to writhe in Elric's grasp, seeking fresh flesh in which to bite. There was a hard, grim smile on the albino's colourless lips, and his eyes were narrowed as he struck without discrimination at the warriors. He planned to leave the fighting to those he had led to Imrir, for he had other things to do, and quickly. Behind the yellow-garbed warriors, the tall towers of Imrir rose, beautiful in their soft and scintillating colours of coral pink and powdery blue, of gold and pale yellow, white and subtle green. One such tower was Elric's objective, the Tower of De Arputna, where he had ordered Tanglebone to take Simmeral knowing that in the confusion this would be possible. 
Elric hacked a blood-drenched path through those who scr- attempted to halt him, and men fell back, screaming horribly as the rune sword drank their souls. Now Elric was past them, leaving them to the bright blades of the reavers who poured on through the quayside, and was running up through the twisting streets, his sword slaying anyone who attempted to stop him. Like a white-faced ghoul he was, his clothing tattered and bloody, his armour chipped and scratched, but he ran speedily over the cobblestones of the twisting streets and came at last to the slender tower of hazy blue and soft gold, the tower of De Arputna. Its door was open, showing that someone was inside, and Elric rushed through it and entered the large ground-floor chamber. No one greeted him. Tangle bones, he yelled, his voice roaring loudly even in his own ears. Tanglebones, are you here? He leapt up the stairs in great bounds, calling his servant's name. On the third floor he stopped suddenly, hearing a low groan from one of the rooms. Tanglebones, is that you? Elric strode towards the room, hearing a strangled gasping. He pushed open the door and his stomach seemed to twist within him as he saw the old man lying upon the bare floor of the chamber, striving vainly to stop the flow of blood which gouted from a great wound in his side. What's happened, men? Where's Simmeril? Tangamone's old face twisted in pain and grief. She... I... I brought her here, Master, as you ordered. But... He coughed and blood dribbled down his wizened chin. Prince Erkun... He apprehended me, must have followed us here. He struck me down and took Simmeril back with him. Said she'd be safe in the tower of Bit Al Nisbet. Master, I'm sorry. Well, so you should be, Ulrich retorted savagely. And then his tone softened. Do not worry, old friend, I'll avenge you and myself. I can still reach Simmeril now I know where Erkun has taken her. Thank you for trying, Tanglebones. May your long journey down the last river be uneventful. He turned abruptly on his heel and left the chamber, running down the stairs and out into the street again. The tower of Bit Al Nisbet was the highest tower in the royal palace. Elric knew it well, for it was there that his ancestors had studied their dark sorceries and conducted frightful experiments. He shuddered as he thought what Erkun might be doing to his own sister. The streets of the city seemed hushed and strangely deserted. But Elric had no time to ponder why this should be so. Instead, he dashed towards the palace, found the main gate unguarded and the main entrance to the building deserted. This too was unique, but it constituted luck for Elric as he made his way upwards, climbing familiar ways towards the topmost tower. Finally, he reached a door of shimmering black crystal, which had no bolt or handle to it. Frenziedly, Elric struck at the crystal with his sorceress blade, but the crystal appeared only to flow and reform. His blows had no effect. Elric racked his mind, trying to remember the single alien word which would make the door open. He dared not put himself in a trance which would have, in time, dredged the word to his lips. Instead, he had to dredge his subconscious and bring the word forth. It was dangerous, but there was little else he could do. 
His whole frame trembled as his face twisted and his brain, brain began to shake. The word was coming as his vocal cords jerked in his throat and his chest heaved. He coughed the word out and his whole mind and body ached with the strain. And then he cried, I command thee, open. He knew that once the door opened, his cousin would be aware of his presence. But he had to risk it. The crystal expanded, pulsating and seething, and then began to flow out. Flowed into nothingness. Into something beyond the physical universe. Beyond time. Elric breathed thankfully and passed into the tower of Baal Nesbet. But now an eerie fire, chilling and mind-shattering, was licking around Elric as he struggled up the steps towards the central chamber. There was a strange music surrounding him, uncanny music which throbbed and sobbed and pounded in his head. Above him, he saw a leering Urkun, a black rune sword also in his hand, the mate of the one in Elric's own grasp. Hellspawn, Elric said thickly, weakly. I see you have recovered Mournblade. Well, test its powers against its brother if you dare. I have come to destroy you, cousin. Stormbringer was giving forth a peculiar moaning sound which sighed over the shrieking, unearthly music accompanying the licking, chilling fire. The rune sword writhed in Elric's fist and he had difficulty in controlling it. Summoning all his strength, he plunged up the last steps and aimed a wild blow at Urkun. Beyond the eerie fire bubbled yellow-green lava on all sides above and beneath. Two men were surrounded only by the misty fire and the lava which lurked beyond it. They were outside the earth and facing one another for a final battle. The lava seethed and began to ooze inwards, dispersing the fire. The two blades met and a terrible shrieking roar went up. Elric felt his whole arm go numb and it tingled sickeningly. Elric felt like a puppet. He was no longer his own master. The blade was deciding his actions for him. The blade, with Elric behind it, roared past its brother's sword and cut a deep wound in Urkun's left arm. He howled and his eyes widened in agony. Mournblade struck back at Stormbringer, catching Elric in the very same place he had wounded his cousin. He sobbed in pain but continued to move upwards, now wounding Urkun in the right side, with a blow strong enough to have killed any other man. Irkun laughed to them, laughed like a gibbering demon from the foulest depths of hell. His sanity had broken at last, and Elric now had the advantage. But the great sorcery which his cousin had conjured was still in evidence, and Elric felt as if a giant had grasped him, was crushing him as he pressed his advantage. Irkun's blood spouting from the wound and covering Elric also. The lava was slowly withdrawing, and now Elric saw the entrance to the central chamber. Behind his cousin, another form moved. Elric gasped. Simmeril had awakened and, with horror on her face, was shrieking at him. The sword still swung in a black arc, 
cutting down Urkun's brother Blade and breaking the usurper's guard. Alric, cried Simmeril desperately, save me now, else we are doomed for eternity. Alric was puzzled by the girl's words. He could not understand the sense of them. Savagely, he drove Urkun upwards towards the chamber. Elric, put Stormbringer away. Sheathe your sword or we shall part again. But even if he could have controlled the whistling blade, Elric would not have sheathed it. Hate dominated his being, and he would sheathe it in his cousin's evil heart before he put it aside. Simmeral was weeping now, pleading with him, but Elric could do nothing. The drooling idiot thing which had been Urkun of Imrir turned at his sister's cries and stared leeringly at her. It cackled and reached out one shaking hand to seize the girl by her shoulder. She struggled to escape, but Urkun still had his evil strength. Taking advantage of his opponent's distraction, Elric cut deep through his body, almost severing the trunk from the waist. And yet incredibly, Urkun remained alive, drawing his vitality from the blade which still clashed against Elric's own rune-carved sword. With a final push, he flung Simmeril forward and she died screaming on the point of Stormbringer. Then Urkun laughed one final cackling shriek and his black soul went howling down to hell tower resumed its former proportions, all fire and lava gone. Elric was dazed, unable to marshal his thoughts. He looked down at the dead bodies of the brother and the sister. He saw them at first only as corpses, a man's and a woman's. Then dark truth dawned on his clearing brain, and he moaned in grief like an animal. He had slain the girl he loved. The rune sword fell from his grasp, stained by Simmeril's lifeblood, and clattered unheeded down the stairs. Sobbing now, Elric dropped beside the dead girl, lifted her in his arms. Simmeril, he moaned, his whole body throbbing. I have slain you. <laughs>